with the palms down, like they did in Ramandu's island. Whose island? I'll tell you about that another time. And he might like us to face the east. Now, will you say the words after me? What words? asked Jill. The words I'm going to say, of course, answered Eustace. Now, and he began. Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. Aslan, 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 repeated Jill. Please let us two go into... At that moment, a voice from the other side of the gym was heard shouting out, Pearl, yes, I know where she is. She's blubbing behind the gym. Shall I fetch her out? Jill and Eustace gave one glance at each other, dived under the laurels, and began scrambling up the steep, earthy slope of the shrubbery. After about a minute's scramble, they stopped to listen, and knew by the noises they heard that they were being followed. If only the door was open again, said Eustace as they went on, and Jill nodded, for at the top of the shrubbery was a high stone wall, and in that wall a door by which you could get out onto open moor. The door was nearly always locked, but there had been times when people found it open, or perhaps there had been only one time. Jill and Eustace panted up to the wall, and there was the door, shut as usual. It's sure to be no good, said Eustace, with his hand on the handle, and then, oh, by gum, for the handle turned and the door opened. They both stood still. They had expected to see the grey, heathery slope of the moor going up and up to join the dull autumn sky. Instead, a blaze of sunshine met them. It made the drops of water on the grass glitter like beads and showed up the dirtiness of Jill's tear-stained face. And the sunlight was coming from what certainly did look like a different world. They saw smooth turf, smoother and brighter than Jill had ever seen before, and blue sky and darting to and fro, things so bright they might have been jewels or huge butterflies. Come on, Pole. Can we get back? Is it safe? Quick, said Scrub. Here, hold hands. We mustn't get separated. And before she quite knew what was happening, he grabbed her hand and pulled her through the door, out of the school grounds, out of England, out of our world, into that place. Instantly there was a sound all about them. It came from those bright things overhead, which now turned out to be birds. They were making a riotous noise, but it was much more like music, rather advanced music, which you don't quite take in at the first hearing, than bird songs ever are in our world. Yet, in spite of the singing, there was a sort of background of immense silence. That silence combined with the freshness of the air, made Jill think they must be on the top of a very high mountain. Scrub still had her by the hand, and they were walking forward, staring about them on every side. They went straight on without speaking till suddenly Jill heard Scrub say, Look out! and felt herself jerked back. They were at the very edge of a cliff. Jill was one of those lucky people who have a good head for heights. What's the matter? she said. And to show that she was not afraid, she stood very near the edge indeed. In fact, a good deal nearer than even she liked. Then she looked down. She now realized that Scrub had some excuse for looking white. For when she looked down all that distance, she saw little white things that might, at first glance, be mistaken for sheep 
presently she realized that they were clouds. Not little wreaths of mist, but the enormous white puffy clouds as big as most mountains. And at last, in between those clouds, she got a glimpse of the real bottom so far away that she could not make out whether it was fields or woods or land or water. Jill stared at it. Then she thought that perhaps after all she would step back a foot or so from the edge. But when she tried to move, she found she couldn't. Her legs seemed to have turned into putty. Everything was swimming before her eyes. "'What you doing, Pearl? Come back, blithering little idiot!' shouted Scrub. She felt him grabbing at her, but by now she had no control over her own arms and legs. There was a moment struggling on the cliff edge. Jill was too frightened and dizzy to know quite what she was doing. She wrenched herself free of Scrub's clutches. At the same moment, Scrub himself, with a terrified scream, lost his balance and went hurtling to the depths. Fortunately, she was given no time to think over what she had done. Some huge, brightly coloured animal had rushed to the edge of the cliff. It was lying down, leaning over and blowing. Not roaring or snorting, but just blowing from its wide-opened mouth. Jill was lying so close to the creature that she could feel the breath vibrating steadily through its body. At last, she saw, far away below, a tiny black speck floating away from the cliff and slightly upwards. As it rose, it also got further away. It was obviously moving away from them at great speed. Jill couldn't help thinking that the creature at her side was blowing it away. So she turned and looked at the creature. It was a lion. to its feet and gave one last blow. Then, as if satisfied with its work, it turned and stalked slowly away back into the forest. I do wish we'd never come to this dreadful place, said Jill. I don't believe Scrub knew any more about it than I do. And she remembered again the scream that Scrub had given when he fell and burst into tears. When Jill stopped, she found she was dreadfully thirsty. She got up and looked round her very carefully. There was no sign of the lion, but there were so many trees about that it might easily be quite close without her seeing it. For all she knew, there might be several lions. But her thirst was very bad now, and she plucked up her courage to go and look for water. Sooner than she expected, she came to an open glade and saw a stream, bright as glass, running across the turf as stones throw away from her. But although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as if she had been turned into stone, with her mouth wide open, and she had a very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay the lion. She knew at once that it had seen her, for his eyes looked straight into hers for a moment and then turned away as if it knew her quite well and didn't think much of her. If you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. Then the voice said again, If you are thirsty, come and drink. 
The voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy, golden voice. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. Will you promise not to... I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that, and her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she ever had to do, but she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. Come here, said the lion, and she had to. She was almost between its front paws now, looking straight into its face. Human child, said the lion, where is the boy? He fell over the cliff, sir. How did he come to do that, human child? He was trying to stop me from falling, sir. Why were you so near the edge, human child? I was showing off, sir. That is a very good answer, human child. Do so no more. And now the boy is safe. I have blown him to Narnia. But your task will be the harder because of what you have done. Please, what task?